Good morning, good afternoon, maybe even good evening. I'm Sam. And I'm Brian. And we're back with episode three of the PBC podcast. So Brian, what do we got on the show today? Sam, we've got loads on the show today. From AI, to Formula One, to albums, to even our first ever piece of Deutsch with Eric Leach talking about Schalke FC. Well, it's all lined up to be a great episode, Brian. We have three different languages, a bit of sport, a bit of music. It should be a great episode. It should, Sam. Let's get it on the way. Well, first off, we're going to go to the TY module of the filmmaking with Breaking Brad, their parody of hit TV show Breaking Bad, of course. They've been nominated for numerous awards now, and Ronan McCarthy talked to a few of the producers. So today I'm joined with the creators of the award-nominated TY short film and Breaking Bad parody, Breaking Brad. Head screenwriter, Theo Scully. Chief editor, sound engineer and executive producer, Kean Timney. So lads, thanks for joining us today. I watched your film and I have to say I thoroughly enjoyed it. Although it is a parody, it does follow its own story, very different from the premise of the original show. So tell me, how did you come up with the idea for Breaking Brad? And how did you go turning that idea into your own story? Did you have different ideas of how the story would go before you settled on the final version? Hi Ronan. So in the beginning, we looked through the films of other people to give us ideas. A lot of them had deeper meanings and morals to them, and talked about real life issues. We thought it would be an advantage to make our movie with no moral. A comedy that had no meaning to it. It was just a guy named Brad up in the science lab making protein. In the end, Brad gets hired by a drug lord, played by Mr. Garvey. So there's no real meaning to Breaking Brad. It's just a fun film that we thought would separate it from the competitors. So tell me, how did casting work? How did you decide who would play you? Was it obvious from the beginning or did you have to... There was a few obvious roles, but um, we mainly just tried to split everything equally. Okay. Uh, so we had we only had two cameras to work with. Yeah. Uh, so we obviously made like our two cameras were for the most experienced people with camera work. Yeah. Uh, obviously the cast wasn't huge, but there was a lot of like small roles that needed to be filled. So everyone kind of got one of those. Yeah. Okay. But uh, the main star anyway, uh, Brad, he was played by Adam Ryan. Uh, he was. We found him to be like the kind of the best suited to be honest for it. Uh, we just enjoyed it; like it was good. Yeah. So, how did the shooting process go? Were there any kind of practical challenges you faced? There weren't any real challenges with shooting. We shot in a few locations, most notably Fitzgerald's Park. We also went up to Kerry to shoot some films as well for the montage scenes. All in all, there were no issues with shooting. Everything went smoothly, and the film was produced on time. Uh, you just said there that you went up to Kerry for day filming. What was that like? So we uh, we went up to Kerry to film a few scenes mm. for a collection of, of scenes that we called the montage. Right. They uh, they happened about halfway through the movie. And we went to Kerry just to, uh, to spice up the scenery. We didn't want everything to be filmed in Fitzgerald's Park. We wanted a bit of variety. It was very good. We went to a, a castle. We got a few scenes of the landscape. It was very nice. And I wish definitely do it again. And uh, talk to me about the, uh, the editing process. Like, how, how did that go? Were there any kind of... Um... Uh, difficulties or like uh, exa- like kind of sacrifices you had to make cutting things that sort of thing well yeah the editing process was a bit awkward in a sense mm-hmm. that like it was very close to the Christmas exams so there was a lot of things that we had to be had to be done quick like missing a good few classes for it especially coming up to the Christmas exams obviously like that's less than ideal to be honest mm-hmm. yeah. but um, we got it done in the end and to be fair to Theo he uh, he stayed behind after he finished a few exams just to like spruce things up and stuff like that so fair play to him for yeah. that Fair enough, you persevered. So, um, once you got the film finished, uh, how did it feel? 
I can imagine it must have been quite satisfying to see your idea come to life at last. Was it everything you had hoped? It was very rewarding finishing the movie. We had to finish it very close to the deadline, but we did manage to get it done. We were proud of how the movie turned out. It was everything we imagined it would be. All in all, we thought it was a good movie and we thought we had done a good job. Great. So um, I understand as well you've been nominated for, uh, you were nominated for two awards, one at Youth Film Festival and one at First Cult Film Festival. Is that right? Yeah, that's correct. So um, uh, the first one was in Yall. There was a showing of all the different films that like the schools had created and stuff. And um, I'm not sure if it was a vote process or if it was a judge, but uh, they were, there was a winner decided anyway. And uh, myself and uh, Adam Ryan, who played Brad, uh, went up on panel and just answered a few questions. Oh, great stuff. So uh, congratulations on that. Uh, so final question, and most importantly of all, when and where will we be able to watch it? We're still unsure if it will be, uh, be played in the school. We still need more time to, uh, to figure out the details. But we are hopeful that someday closer to uh, the summer holidays, we'll be able to play it in the theatre for the school to watch. Uh, as well as before we leave, uh, I just want to thank you, uh, thank Mr. Casey and all the teachers and staff and the film crew who helped us uh, produce this film. Thanks very much, lads. Thank you, Theo. Thank you, Keen, for joining me today with your film, Breaking Brad. Very interesting piece there, Salmon Breaking Brad. I can't wait to see it, to be honest with you. Um, very interesting to learn how the movies are made and stuff like that and a lot of work went into it it sounds like and loads of work loads of work and uh, next up in the, the year of commemoration we've got Rory he's going to regale us again with uh, some more history this time 1922 and the Battle of the Four Courts in Dublin Dubliners rush to their windows as a mushroom cloud of Black smoke and paper rises from the public record office within the forecourts. This is June 1922. A fire would devour nearly a thousand years of recorded history and would spark the Irish Civil War. This was the start of the Battle of Dublin, a short but savage battle that would mark the first stage of the Civil War. It would also set the country alight in the deadliest war since Wolfe Tone's ill-fated rebellion in 1798. The greatest leaders of the century were also claimed to this deadly pyre that the Irish people had built for themselves. Carl Prewer, destroyed by a hail of bullets, buying time for his men to escape. Erskine Childers, captured and executed by firing squad. But he also shook each hand of that squad and left instructions for his son, who would later become President of Ireland, to find and forgive these men. Arthur Griffith, founder of Sinn Féin, killed by a stroke from the stress of the Civil War. Even the so-called big fella himself, Michael Collins, shot by Sonny O'Neill during the infamous Bailnamlaw ambush. First, we must understand why the four courts were shelled and the Civil War began. After the split between the pro-treaty and anti-treaty sides, two sides would form within the IRA, the Irregulars and the National Army. This split would be along anti- and pro-treaty lines, Irregulars backing the anti-treaty and the National Army either forces of the Free State and pro-treaty. Men like Tom Barry, famous for his ambush in Kill Michael and his master stroke at Cross Barry, saving 
the lives of men. Dan Breen, known for uh, starting the War of Independence in Salah Beg, and Carl Brewer, the Minister for War during the War of Independence, would all join the Irregulars, and a large portion of the IRA would follow them, trusting their commanders. In the end, the split would be very uneven, with roughly 80,000 experienced men going to the Irregulars, and only about 8,000 going to the National Army. After this happened, and Eamon Dev Lera stormed from the Dáil, when the TDs voted to agree to the treaty and the IRA split, a small contingent of these Irregulars, numbering about 200, led by 12 men of the IRA executive, like Rory O'Connor, Liam Mellows and Ernie O'Malley, occupied the four courts. Believing and hoping the British would attack them, and Ireland, pro and anti-treaty, would be united once again against them. This would not be so. For two months, these men stayed there, and it seemed they would get their way, as Churchill was putting harsh pressure on the free state to dislodge them, or he would order the remaining British troops in places like Dublin Castle to attack, for he saw the occupation of the four courts as a blatant violation of the Anglo-Irish Treaty, which ended the War of Independence. Because of this, if it was violated, the War of Independence would resume, and this time, the IRA and the Irish may not win it. But the Free State, however, led by Michael Collins, reluctant to dislodge the men occupying the four courts, not eager to start a civil war. But Rory O'Connor and his men would force his hand by kidnapping a National Army General, J.J. Ginger O'Connor. Reluctantly, Collins gave the order, and artillery is brought up to the forecourts, provided by the British. And so, the shelling of the forecourts began. On the 27th of June, 1922, the first shell was fired. This continued all the way into the early hours of the 28th, just to keep his men's morale up when they ran out of real shells, the National Army commander fired harmless shrapnel, most of which just broke against the walls of the forecourts, but some wounded the Commandant Paddy O'Brien within the forecourts. Soon, the National Army was resupplied, and once again the shells pounded the forecourts. Soon, a contingent of troops sent by the Free State, stormed the eastern part of the Four Courts. They managed to disable the mutineer, an armoured car the Irregulars had captured, and capture 30 Irregulars. But they lost three men, and 14 were wounded in this assault. The Irregulars inside the Four Courts st- had stockpiled their ammo inside the Public Records Office, where nearly a thousand years of records were kept, which could never possibly go wrong at all. At 11.30am on the 28th of June, it went wrong. A stray shell hit the public records office and the armory and the stockpile of ammo was hit, causing a massive explosion that could be heard and seen for miles. So, we return to the beginning of this piece. With an enormous mushroom cloud of thick, black smoke and papers rising from the public records office, destroying nearly a thousand years of history. Soon, in light of their rapidly deteriorating situation, Commandant O'Brien being wounded and being forced to flee the flames 
and smoke, the Irregulars finally surrendered. At last, the Irregulars were dislodged from the forecourts, but the Battle of Dublin had just begun. By the end, 300 combatants, including the famous Carl Brewer, were dead. But 200 ordinary civilians who had no part in the fighting had been killed. In total, 500 men, women and children, all Irish, died. It is important to remember this past, our past, as those who forget it are doomed to repeat it. Let us never as- let ourselves be divided again, because in light in the rising popularity of Sinn Féin in the north, this may be important to remember going forward. Thank you for listening of the beginning of the Irish Civil War and the siege on the forecourts. Thank you. So, Rory, a fascinating piece. Thank you so much. Always an interesting story from you. Sam, coming up next. You're a big Formula One guy, Sam, aren't you? Since I was a little boy, Brian, uh, I was, I've was. i been watching, watching with my dad, so looking forward to the new season. Yeah, definitely. It's time to head to the fast lane now as Sam sits down with Peter Burke to discuss the upcoming season of F1. Well, Peter, with the start of the 2023 Formula One season imminent, I think now is a great time to look forward to the season and look at a few predictions and maybe a few of the top stories for the new season. I mean, there's so many new storylines coming into the season. The Las Vegas Grand Prix, the return to the Qatar Grand Prix, which was boring last time, but I mean, hopefully it was. a bit of a change. I mean, Las Vegas on a Saturday, which I think maybe the first time ever. Uh, very possibly. Las Vegas is one that a lot of people are very excited for. I know a lot of the drivers are very excited for it as well. Uh, Hamilton especially is very much looking yeah. forward to it. And just it's it seems like a city built for F1. So it should be exciting. And I mean, a new street circuit, a high speed street circuit as well. So Yeah, exactly. I'm, the exciting. only thing is I'm a little bit disappointed for Daniel Ricciardo. Yeah, he, he can't race he there this year. He's it been asking been, for it for so long. Yeah, it would have been the perfect driver for the perfect city for a perfect exactly. race. That's like, a shame, but, yeah. Yeah, but maybe next year. And I guess now as well, we have one of the big stories is it's the first time in our lifetime that Sebastian Vettel won't be racing in Formula One this, this year. That since 2005, he's been a, a mainstay on the grid. He's got what 53 race wins for championships some of the most dominant performances in history i mean yeah like you're looking at the 2013 2011 season maybe yeah the most dominant seasons of all time oh yeah sure. uh, 2013 there with schumacher yeah i mean maybe verstappen last season uh, possibly be looking to replicate it this season yeah. but vettel was one of the best ever those four years with vettel were un, unrivaled in his dominance like, yeah so, absolutely yeah speaking of dominance i guess uh just a little start on the predictions. I'd say Red Bull will be expecting in both constructors and drivers to take the main title again. Yeah, I have the same here. I have Red Bull first. Yeah, Red Max, Bull first. Max Checo one two in the championship. Look, I, I yeah, don't see too. a bit of I don't see much of a change from last year. I actually think it they'll be even more dominant. I do too. I based off the testing performances and how Verstappen seems to be handling the car already, it doesn't look great for the other nine teams really. I mean, yeah, like Ferrari last season stated uh really dominant in the first race. Yeah, Leclerc uh, looked amazing. Season, fast, yeah. But this season, I don't think there'll be any of that. Verstappen will come out of the blocks. 
I think he'll he'll win race after race. I think this could be the dominant, most dominant yeah. season of all time. I, I agree with you on Verstappen. Now, I actually I do actually have Ferrari as second in the constructors with, I'd say Leclerc maybe fourth or fifth in the drivers though, just because, well, Perez and Verstappen, I'd say, have locked in the front two spots. But Ferrari with, under new management, they got rid of Mattia Bonato, in came Fred Vasseur. I feel like their reliability should be better this year. And really, it wasn't, pace that was their problem last year they had a fast fast car but they couldn't keep it on the road so yeah absolutely I mean look I don't have Ferrari second actually I have Aston Mountain second uh, look I think their upgrades throughout the year last year you're looking at Brazil and that sort of time they really yeah. improved their car in comparison to the start of the season start of season they were just ahead of Williams in that yeah, sort of ninth eighth spot around off of Terry and actually at the end of the season they were, they were point they were point yeah, every race. Alonso Alonso is hungry and after testing he was saying that he thinks that is a car that will be pushing podiums if not more like so yeah yeah and in fairness to stroll he has put together some inconsistent but some excellent displays like in turkey a few years back that pole position in the rain was phenomenal he beat out verstappen and hamilton in a and perez Perez. was a a very good season that year he won the race in secure that year i believe yeah, the uh, last the first race, yeah, wasn't I mean, it? Yeah, so. he was in, he was very good that year. Yeah. I think Stroll. I'm I'm interested to see how he develops throughout his career because he's still yeah. so young. He came he's into F one twenty four. I think I think he was this. I think he's the second youngest driver ever to enter yeah. F one. He youngest the, podium finisher. Ever. Yeah, I think the most dominant F three champion ever yeah. over George Russell. Yeah. I think it was maybe a hundred or so points because he's F three. He's often kind of slandered almost yeah. just because his father owns the team, which obviously is. It's a bit of a recurring team in Formula One, the kind of the pay driver. But in fairness, it's not like he's Nikita Mazepin. Like he has shown serious yeah. ability throughout all his junior career and inconsistently, but kind of regularly in Formula One as well. Yeah, I mean, uh, look, I think if he can really put these performances together, I've seen a bit of a, I see potential in, in Stroll. I think yeah. he challenged Vettel at times last year. You, you look at the way people talk about Stroll's performance last year, right? I know Vettel was, he's past it, right? Yeah, yeah. He was at his best about 10 years ago. Yeah, but, yeah. but he was Stroll still... Stroll was close. Yeah. Stroll was close to Vettel towards the end of the and season. And in fairness I mean, to Vettel last year, he he wasn't 2013 dominant, yeah. but like he's, was still a very, very solid mm-hmm. and capable like midfield driver. Yeah, like, so. absolutely. I think he's one of the best drivers in the midfield. Yeah. All right. So I have Aston Martin third. You have them yeah. second. Is uh, third Ferrari have, for you? I have Ferrari okay. third, yeah. So, I have um, Leclerc and Sainz fourth and fifth. I have Leclerc... Fourth, I actually have signs about sixth mm-hmm. because yeah. in fourth I have Mercedes. Yeah, and I think Hamilton will split the two Ferraris. Yeah, I had the same sort of dilemma in my head. I was was it Sainz or Hamilton? To that yeah, fifth yeah. Spot? I was also thinking Russell in that fifth spot. I think he's going to have a good year. I think he he's going to challenge Hamilton, yeah. but I think Hamilton will step it up from last year. I do I too. He had a poor start to the season generally. Saudi Arabia, I, Baku, and I, I think he. Well, I think he actually did well in Baku, but no, he did. Yeah, he did yeah. do quite well, but no, he did have overall a weeks first half nearly yeah. of the season and I think he will be he will be hungry this year yeah, to absolutely. get like what well, last year first year of his career without a win that's not something that will sit well with him at yeah, all I don't think he's going to let that be a recurring theme throughout the rest of his career I no, think never Mercedes are going to keep on on building you know improving that care I think I don't know if they'll get back to the top again in this era I no I don't know I think dominant. Red Bull could be starting a bit of a dynasty I'd say of yeah. dominance but yeah. I think like you look at even the background team there, Toto Wolf, Pete Bonnington, mm-hmm. like they Russ, did lose James Vells though. They did. That was a big loss actually. Big loss, yeah. Cause, and that's a good thing for Williams, yeah, but sorry, more absolutely, on Williams yeah. in a sec, but, but no, for Mercedes, like 
they still have that spine of that team in Toto, Bonington, and now Russell and Hamilton are two drivers who will be like biting at the bit to to try push on for podiums and wins again with Mercedes. Yeah, like, so I have them fourth. Then fifth. This is where it starts getting probably a little bit debatable. I have Alpine in fifth. I actually, yeah, I agree. Do you agree? Yeah, I think I think they have such a good strong. They have such a strong pairing. Ocon and Gasly, I would yeah. say, is one of the one of the strongest pairings on the grid. Yeah. I like Gasly. Both of them are race winners. Mm. Obviously, in unique circumstances yeah. for both of them. But, I, but you have to take that chance when it comes to Yeah, like, exactly. You know, I think Gasly's was, Gasly, was probably a little bit more impressive because it was in Monza. Yeah. Sainz was quicker behind him. Gasly in Monza was a phenomenal performance. It was a very good win. It, I mean, he would. I think he was on for a podium even if it, it was, was just a normal It race. was a la Sebastian Vettel in Fenza back in 2006. Yeah, it, like, it, it, it was... Yeah, I, I think it, it was, maybe wasn't quite that level. No, no, it wasn't. But just got the pole that weekend. The, tar, the yeah. Taro Rosso Alpha Terry kind of like just exactly, linked. Yeah. It made it a little bit fairy tale. It did, like, didn't it? Yeah. 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 Um, Especially after re- he was dropped by Red Bull. I think it was, I think it was fairly close to the... The day it or, was only, or so, yeah, the year before. It was, like, it was fairly close to exactly Yeah, it was before. nearly 365 yeah, days, exactly. I think. So it was a bit like, yeah, a bit Hollywood of him. Mm-hmm. Like, and Akan as well is a serious driver. He challenged Alonso very regularly towards the end of last season. Yeah, I mean, now uh, the two of them fell out a bit as well, yeah. which it doesn't actually bode well that Akan seems to fall out regularly with his teammates. Yeah, that's like, one criticism with, I'd have of him. I think I'm always a bit of a, an Akan fan in terms of his pace and stuff yeah, like that. Yeah. But as someone who does like Max, I don't really I, I see that he gets in a, a lot of arguments with teammates you're looking at Checo at in Force India yeah. that was that was that ruined Force India for completely it ruined the t- team totally like it, yeah. they ended up going under I'm not blaming that on Afghan but like <laughs> it's all his fault though yeah, <laughs> yeah. but and should the same with Alonso and like the incident with Max obviously wasn't a teammate but yeah, it just exactly, it shows yeah. he just his relationship with other drivers is a bit questionable mm-hmm. and even with like a Gasly from back in there yeah Carding career, there's a few question marks, but though in fairness, both of them have been adamant that like that's behind them and everything. Yeah, like I, I think that's that could hurt Akon at stages. He's mm. not that quick of a driver that he that he can just really go around ruining teammates mm. and stuff. He needs to be a bit better towards yeah. people in his own team. Like yeah. it's it's so important for a team like Alpine. Like it is a dynamic in Formula One that the team leader driver can be very very abrasive abrasive that's it like Verstappen like you've yeah. seen him go through Alban five Gasly. teammates yeah, I mean, Ricardo so like, yeah yeah like so he, in Toro Rosso he had a couple different teammates as well yeah like, so, yeah yeah um all right so next team for you well I have Alfa Romeo in the sixth spot very interesting okay yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> um I have I have McLaren yeah in six yeah. that and I've Alfa Romeo in seven that that was a little debate for me mm-hmm. Um, I think Alfa Romeo in six. I think Guan Yu Zhou will push on. Yeah. Uh, last year he was he had some slip ups. He didn't get too many points last year, but I think he will push on this year. He's he's a good driver. He was a bit unlucky that Alfa Romeo was it was frustrating it to it watch. It wasn't. It was. It had times when it was great and mm. times when it was terrible. And it ended the season so poorly. That's my only worry. Especially with Freddie Vassar leaving. I think I think he's a really good team principal. He is a strong team principal. They'll be lacking a little bit of the foundation of it. Yeah. Okay. Um my justification behind McLaren is basically based around Lando Norris. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that he is one of the most like promising drivers on the grid. Um but that McLaren last year was poor and in testing was bad again. So I think it'll be very hard for Piastri as a rookie to overcome that. Yeah, like, I mean, Lando, it's so hard to put Lando in the seventh car of the grid. 
it's, 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 I mean, I can't, it's, it's so tough to say to that watch. because he's such a good driver. Yeah. I think, I think he's one of the best on the grid. I think he's right up there with uh, I would Hamilton's. have him top five. Probably, I think probably. probably just that sort of level below Verstappen. Yeah. That sort of, he's so good. He yeah. was so far ahead of anybody else in the midfield last oh. year. All right. So my, my next spot, I had Williams actually. Oh, okay. Ahead of Alpha Terry or yeah. Haas. Because I think Williams with Albon and with Sargent is a very strong lineup. Yeah, um, I, I have I have them in ninth. Um, okay, Haas in eighth. Ha- oh, okay. Yeah. I've Haas last. Okay. Okay. Well, my logic point Williams is again largely based around one driver, but I think Albon is a very strong driver and a driver who will get points in a weaker car. Um, like he displayed it at times last year, not. <laughs> Monza. Yeah, Monza. Not regularly, but at times. Again, that was a very bad car, though. Yeah. Um, all uh, right. Yeah. In, in ninth, I have that Williams. In eighth, I have Haas. I think they're, they're a good pairing. Strong pairing. I don't think there's too much special about it. I think yeah, they'll probably just have a better car and be a better pairing. Magnus and Hulkenberg, it's just, it's just solid. It's Nothing pairing. to worry about. So do you have Alfa Terry last? I have Alfa Terry last. Yeah. I think Yuki, he still, I feel like he still arrives like a rookie. He does. He's it's he's going into his third year and he still he still drives like he's halfway through his first yeah. season. It's just frustrating. He's too hot headed or something. It's like yeah. he's he he hasn't matured as a driver the way he was meant to. Yeah, and DeVries, um, I think it's his rookie season. I think it'll be yeah. a poor car. I think he'll struggle. Yeah, yeah, because rookie in a poor car is not does not bode well really. No, it doesn't. Know. Though I actually I would back DeVries to challenge Sonoda. Yeah, I do too. Because I, of the I think he will he just has, be like, behind him, but yeah. it'll be close. Yeah. Well, it it looks like it's going to be a, a hell of a season, all right? It's some serious question marks over different drivers and different teams. McLaren being a standout, really. Um, There's a lot of drivers and teams under pressure, I think. There McLaren is a especially. lot of, yeah, yeah. A lot of, a lot of teams pressure. that if they don't up their game, they could be losing well, big I drivers. I can't see Lando like, staying for too long if McLaren are poor again. If they are poor like they were last year, and Red Bull have approached him on multiple occasions about teammating Max, who is his best, who Max this week said Lando is his best friend on the grid. Oh yeah? Yeah, so I, I don't know, like yeah. it might be a bit of foreboding on McLaren for McLaren, but yeah. it doesn't look great. So yeah, a brilliant looking season, I think. Yeah, I think I, I'm looking forward to it. That midfield battle will be great. I'm not sure, if, I'm not sure about the title battle, but the midfield battle midfield. will be great, I think, yeah. yeah. Brilliant piece there, Sam. Great conversation. Can't wait for the new season, to be honest. I can I consider myself a casual fan, but that's definitely got me hyped up now, and I'm very invested in all those storylines. Oh, of course, of course. Uh, and now, for a first, an exclusive. Uh, last year, we had first ever Russian interview. Ooh. What do we have this year, Brian? We have our first interview off Deutsch in German. Eric Leach sits down with Stuart Daly to discuss his favourite football club, Schalke FC. Good morning. Today I'm joined by TY student, member of the podcast team, and for his sins, lifelong fan of Schalke FC, Eric Leach. I'll speak with him about the current state of the club and more in our first exclusive podcast, Output Auf Deutsch. So for all you students of German out there, stay tuned for Eric's word-perfect German. You're very welcome to the PBC podcast, Eric. Would you like to start off by telling us how you came across Schalke FC? Yeah, keine Sorge und erstmal Glück auf. Also im Grunde wurde ich in sehr jungen Jahren auf Schalke eingeführt. Ich würde sagen, wahrscheinlich mit eins, zwei, vielleicht sogar drei. Hauptsächlich von meinem Onkel Volkert, aber auch von meinem Vater. Es ist eigentlich ziemlich lustig, warum ich so jung war. Ich schätze, der Grund war, dass die andere Seite meiner Familie alle Fans von Borussia Dortmund sind. Die Erzrivalen vom FC Schalke 04. Und es wäre bei ihnen nicht gut angekommen, wenn ich es wäre, als Hummel-Fan aufzuwachsen. 
Aber ich bin dankbar, dass sie das getan haben, weil Schalke einfach der beste Club ist, der jemals unterstützt wurde. So your whole family are Dortmund fans, besides your dad and your uncle. But what connects you to Schalke? Nun, Schalke ist hauptsächlich ein Verein im Besitz von Fans und daher ist es fast so, als ob wir alle miteinander verbunden sind, fast wie eine Familie. Weil wir alle Woche für Woche in die Felddienstarena gehen, um den Verein zu folgen, den wir alle leben. Ein weiterer Grund ist, dass ich auf diese Weise Zeit mit meiner Familie, Freunden verbringen kann, die ich normalerweise nicht sehe. Also ist die Fahrt mit dem Fanbus eine großartige Gelegenheit, sich auszutauschen und zu lachen. Can you tell us about the first time you were in a match? Ja, das war in 2016 am 18. März. Wir haben zu Hause gegen Borussia Mönchengladbach gespielt. Das Spiel war richtig spannend, aber am Ende haben wir trotz harten Gegner 2-1 gewonnen. Ich war nur acht Jahre alt und kann mich noch daran erinnern, wie mega die Atmosphäre war. Sowas lehnt man nicht irgendwo anders. Und deswegen muss ich sagen, dass Schalke einfach der beste Club der Welt ist. Ich bin unendlich dankbar, dass meine Familie mir diesen Club gezeigt hat. A 2-1 game against Mönchengladbach. Must have been a close game so. Now. Last season you were relegated after a tough three-win season. How did you feel and what happened? Why did they get relegated? Nun, zuerst war die Niederlage, die den Abstieg bedeutete, schrecklich anzusehen. Ich erinnere mich, wie ich vor dem Fernseher saß und dachte mir, vor zwei Saisons haben wir auf dem zweiten Platz um den Titel gekämpft und jetzt sind wir der letzte und Absteiger mit nur dreimal diese Saison gewonnen. Um ganz ehrlich zu sein, es war eine sehr deprimierende Zeit für mich. Der Club, den ich jahrelang verfolgt und geliebt habe, von dem ich dachte, dass er alles gewinnen könnte, spielt jetzt Fußball in der zweiten Liga. Der Grund dafür ist jedoch ziemlich offensichtlich. Es ist ein Parasit ist, der Schalke zu diesem Zeitpunkt seit Jahren infiziert hat und seine talentiertesten Spieler verkauft. Wir hatten auch unser Budget gekürzt und Schalke wurde ein, im Grunde ein Schiff ohne Ruder. Woche für Woche verloren wir ohne Ende. I can't blame you there. If my favorite team got relegated, I'd be very depressed too. What's been your favorite moment as a Schalke fan? Nun, es gab viele Momente in den letzten zehn Jahren, die definitiv um die Spitzenplätze kämpfen. Aber es gibt vier, die am meisten hervorstechen. Der vierte müsste der berühmte Sieg gegen Real Madrid auswärts im Bernabeu sein, wo wir sie mit 3-4 geschlagen würden. Der dritte Platz muss sein, wenn wir in 2011 zum fünften Mal den DFB-Pokal gewannen. Der zweite Platz müsste im letzten Jahr der erste Platz in der zweiten Liga sein. Also unseren ersten Pokal seit zehn Jahren gewinnen und, und uns zurück in die höchste Spielklasse befordern, wo wir hingehören. Und Platz 1 und verdienter Erster wäre unser extrem wichtiger Sieg gegen den Erzrivalen Borussia Dortmund, wo wir uns mit 4 zu 2 Toren durchgesetzt haben. I can see how beating Real Madrid 4-3 was a very special moment for you and for the club. Thanks very much, Eric, for taking this time to do this interview with me. I hope you enjoyed it and I wish you and Schalke all the best. Danke für heute, Glück auf und blauen weißen Leben lang. Vielen Dank there, uh, Eric. Uh, certainly not a not an easy job being a Schalke fan. It's it's almost like being a Leeds fan. We'll pull you over now to Ian Crowley, who discusses AI, chatbots and all the rest. Rubble, ash, death and destruction. The human race is nearly extinct or enslaved. The apocalypse is here and was our own doing. These are common themes in sci-fi about the dangers that AI presents. But AI has actually become more relevant with how rapidly it's improving. However, don't worry, it's unlikely that AI will destroy or enslave us, but there are huge concerns for the future. A lot of this new round of AI advancement is about a very specific type called generative AI, due to the fact that it generates new content based on previous data. So how does it work? 
Well, it's actually quite simple. Essentially, you'd have this machine learning program, you'd feed it lots of data, and the machine learns and retains the knowledge of that data. An example would be the now famous ChatGPT. ChatGPT was fed data from books, articles, and blogs to help it understand how our language works and the context and meaning behind statements. This results in a chatbot that can simulate real conversation and writings. My first introduction to all this AI talk came in the form of AI art. Artwork that could be convincingly placed in the Louvre was quickly and simply being generated by this algorithm. It was really one of the first clear examples of what this AI tech could accomplish. In 2022, at the Colorado State Fair, a man won the art competition with a piece of AI-generated art. Now, this definitely brings up a lot of philosophical and ethical questions about the nature of art. Some argue that generated art is not truly art because there's no intent or human expression involved. There's even more controversy surrounding AI art because a lot of the programs are being trained with artwork from real artists without permission. Getty Images, one of the biggest stock photo companies, is actually looking to sue one AI company, Stability AI, over copyright infringement. Stability AI's program was trained using images from the company without permission, evidenced by the fact that some of the AI-generated material had a distorted Getty Images watermark on the photo. But... It's currently a very grey area from a legal standpoint. Automated machinery resulted in mass amounts of job loss and unemployment for factory workers in the previous decades. AI is set to do possibly this exact same, except this time targeting language and visual-based jobs. With the ease of AI illustrations, companies might hire less artists or graphic designers, or maybe hire none at all. Why would you pay someone a salary for them to spend days or weeks coming up with artwork when you could just get it for free, or maybe pay a small licensing fee. Journalists, copywriters, and even programmers could be getting the axe at some point too. Well, that may be a bit hyperbolic. You see, generative AI isn't completely reliable. After all, it's not thinking. It's only outputting results from data. It might end up that people's jobs are actually enhanced thanks to AI, making people more efficient as opposed to entirely replacing them. One thing researchers need to be careful about when programming the AI is to filter what data is being processed. Otherwise, the program could have misleading or harmful information included in its outputs. There was an AI in the UK that was being trained to find signs of cancer or other diseases in patients. It was just as good as a human expert, if not better, except there was one major flaw. The AI was being trained on images mostly from white people as the databases that had the needed photos had very few images of people of colour. This meant that the AI was not being trained to find issues in people with darker skin, leading to less accurate results. Of course, the simple fix would be to upload more diverse images, but it just goes to show the fallibility of AI and how human judgement may still be necessary. In 2016, Microsoft proudly unveiled a new chatbot specifically designed for Twitter. The bot, named Tay, would get smarter through learning from tweets and conversations with users. What could go wrong? Well, a lot in fact. Racism, misogyny, homophobia, you name it, and Tay tweeted it. Users tricked the bot into saying all sorts of depraved statements. One of the worst examples being when someone asked the bot if the Holocaust happened, and the bot replied that one of the most inhumane atrocities in human existence never actually happened. You just can't rely on data from the internet without filtering it first, or implementing safeguards to prevent AI from repeating inflammatory comments.
What if you saw a video of yourself saying or doing something you know you never actually did? Well, with deepfake technology, it could appear so. Deepfakes are one of the biggest worries when it comes to AI's advancement, and for good reason too. Deepfakes could be used to spread misinformation for cybercrime and further fray people's trust in the news today. Even in 2019, an energy firm in the UK sent €220,000 to scammers. AI was used to mimic the voice of the head of the company in order to get the money transferred. Needs to say, it worked. But it gets even scarier. Imagine you get a call from a loved one, heavily distressed and worried, begging you for money because something went horribly wrong. I'm sure most people would immediately react and send that money. Unfortunately, you could get scammed out of it. Yes, that's right. AI is currently being used to copy the voices of close family and friends. With newer technology, someone would only need about 30 seconds of audio to convincingly fake a voice. They could get this from recorded scam calls or even just social media videos and posts. So in the future, if you get a call from someone you know in a potentially serious situation, you may have to be safe and contact that person directly yourself to be certain that you're not being tricked. A world like ours that's already so divided does not need this technology to widen that rift. So far, deepfakes have been mostly been relegated to joke videos and memes, but luckily, its use for propaganda hasn't begun yet. With the way social media works to produce outrage, misinformation is absolutely widespread even now. Deepfake videos could directly result in there being different realities for different individuals based on what their ideology and beliefs are. A political candidate could be seen saying something wild but entirely fabricated. This is why deepfake technology is most likely the largest concern of AI at the moment. So, AI is set to radically change our lives in the future, but needs extreme care and caution to prevent its more harmful elements. It has great potential, both for good and bad. Hopefully, it will be handled responsibly, so we only see the positive sides. I've been Ian, and thank you for listening. We would just like to confirm here at the PPC podcast that everything we do write is original and we do not use chatbots. Isn't that right, Sam? Oh, of course, Brian, of course. Uh, no no chat GPT here anyway. Well, next up, we've got a, a bit that I don't think chat GPT will be too worried about. And it's over to Bill and the lads in the studio to discuss Ireland's hopes of qualifying. Right, so... Ireland are playing France, Greece and the Netherlands in the upcoming weeks. I'm joined by my lovely panel of senior analysts of Eamon Dunphy, Mick McCarthy and Kenny Cunningham. Now, Eamon, I'm no expert, but I suppose that puts them at a bit of a disadvantage playing France and all that, huh? Now, Bill, that's spoofer talk. Paris is a city of love, but it's not the city of football, because that's Dublin, baby. In the Aviva, there's only one winner there, Bill. That ain't France, baby. Well, Mick, would you be as optimistic as Eamon is for the France game, or are you like the rest of us, I suppose, huh? I think the lads have a fighting chance in this group. France are inconsistent, and if Ireland catch them on the right day, there could be an upset on the cards. At this particular moment in time, I don't see much hope for Ireland in this group. It's a broader, tough team. I don't think Ireland have much chance in this fixture at this particular moment in time. Ah, Kenny, you're talking at your hoop there. The most famous thing to come out of Gibraltar is a rock. Actually, Eamon, the most famous thing about Gibraltar is that John Lennon had his wedding there. Would you shut up, Mick? Right, Eamon, relax yourself there now. I'll take predictions now, live on air. 
Kenny, what are you going for? At this particular moment in time, I don't necessarily think that this group will end well for Ireland. I can't see us finishing any higher than fifth. I don't believe Stephen Kenny can take us any higher than that. You think we'll finish behind Gibraltar? Kenny, you're a spoofer. This is Dunfeeland, and you're a guest at my house now, baby. There are three main rules at Dunfeeland. First, you shut up. Second, if you're not a real football person, you don't speak football. Thirdly, the burden of proof is on you. And fourthly, shut up. That's four, actually, Eamon. At this particular moment in time, I don't think that Mr. Kenny has proven to be anything but out of his depth at the international level. You shut up, Kenny. Spoofer. Well, I think he needs a bit of time. Space to think. He certainly hasn't asked the muffin. Asked the muffin? That's not a thing, baby. But he has earned some room to respire. Would you be talking about breathing room by any chance, Mick? No. All right, so, Mick. Uh, Kenny, who will top the group? France are favourites, but... I see the Netherlands snatching first when the time comes. You know, Van Dijk, Dirk Kout and his legendary S5 squiggle formation. Uh, now, Kenny, I'm no expert, but I read on the back of a box of Kellogg's Brand Flakes that Dirk Kuyt actually retired back in 2015. Ha! You've been caught red-handed, Kenny, you muppet. You're like a fish in a fireplace. You're talking out your jacksie. In fairness to Kenny, his legacy lives on. I remember Wolves against Liverpool, like it was yesterday, 22nd of January 2011. Early kickoff at the Molyneux. We couldn't get a handle on the Dutchman and an assist to top it off. What a game by a superb player. Right, so Mick, yeah, enough of that. Uh, Eamon, Kenny, who would you say out of the two of you is the better analyst? Well, I wouldn't think there's much of a question about this matter at this particular moment in time. No, Kenny, no, no. We're in show business, baby, and I'm the showman. No, Eamon, hang on a second. I'm a football man. You're a showman. How dare you tell me I'm not a football man, Kenny? No. Well, you're not a football man. You're an actor. Okie doke, we'll leave it there so, back to Brian and Sam the studio. Now Sam, from comedy to Shock de Nguilga, you sat down with some Irish staff in the school and our librarian to discuss the translation of books to Irish, the events we have happening here in the school for Shock de Nguilga, and of course our very own Irish teacher, Mary O'Driscoll, playing us out with a beautiful song on the fiddle. I did indeed, Brian, I did indeed. Toshakta Nagwelga, Ake Lura, Erfudnatira, Agus Gudayan Freshen, Toshi Ake Lura Gwyn, Iklashtanaturvita. Linganu, Erfud Kraila, PBC, Tomid Kun on Shaktin, Kalul, Shah, Afle, Agus Tosomid, Le Indian Nikwinig, Lerilini, Niskolan Shah. Falchestak, so in his doing, Fuina Lower Nua Gwelga at Ogwing, so Lerilin, let ho. Kinta? Well, Cahig me a ra, capfog gmeg dacructi fiakfer eg ain erucht astrocon guelga ien of erin allower dyerva wimpy kid, le Jeff Kinney. Togga nav formalta, lawn la bearlager eg an scaly. A tod asalt le gnachaint guelga. Shin a cap misha arenos, rivon astrocon chalev. A dear dealin duradon, astrocon guelga er dyerva wimpy kid. A viuntasarm grev ground and lower fos aun. Ta an Ashukan shot lawn, lin a character crack alta, Ksula Fregli, Ux Rowley, a rev co talktuk, Eshin Bonsayer. Is Lauer Malthuk a shaw, come out, de indalta naquil, ain Lauer Guelga later, ku rivisha. Tan Shkrivnorokt, Eskalatishkint, Augustana Leroydi, Ahanta, Fosound, Augustashid Fos Groundver. Oh, well, on her muller fad, uh, Tan Lerishin, late das berlagum, Augustamek Tanu, Gamorlesh, and Dulhane. 
alive Australia freshen. On will on will ain Ashukan Simulella going? Oh, ta Ashukan Eller fallen Solarlin Ernoig, Agus Mohoram, ta Danny Champion on down on Eshamlor. Is Sor Lauer a Danny Champion of the World, Mohoram, on Lauer is far a Groldal? Is Scale Lawn La Rogerak dog a Schemerak day, Agus Mohoram, ta Sor Oberdain to Egan Ashtahor, Leshen Teksha? Ta an scríobh nóracht an láidir agus clón an teacht leis an úntas agus leis an fisracht atá sa bonsaíher. Mara Dermé is lár úntach a Danny the champion of the world agus tamann sásta gúil ashrúcán den scáige sa lár sha Danny champion on down. Well, gurm mila mhaigh go tosshin a inniú chuinig tosshin cluiste gúivhnsho a fud creile PBC Danny champion on down agus dealin dóradán a fallan sho a lár linnscola ipres. Well, Egboga Roig Marisol, again Dina Glossin Turvita, Tommy de Kalura Shaktanuega Lahar, Augusta Anquid Actri Simulus Kerhook, Ashul Ere Ankaikisha, Augustanish, Ta Inini Verku, Kion Narinaguelga and Sho, Iprez, Ling, Augus Bakshi Eglower Ling, Fui Unmade, Imakti Atogwing, Ere Shaktanuega, Inini Verku, Fortish Shak on a star. Kurvmila, Anwa, Kerfuta. Ah no, Tom. Calculation. <laughs> um, uh, so well in in his doing, that's good. Um, just no, not three. I guess Kada Kada started shoes to school. Well, my daughter said that Cooper was the year she was going. Free law her to Comortes for Sergeant. Less on Kate Blian. Renamer Comortes Filiate. Less on Tree Blian. Renamer Tron Agesh. Less on Tree Blian Coma. Ton Dar Blian a year of Tron Agesh. August Comortes for Sergeant. And you told me they fake in there on Scott on Colin Cune. Less on Idlian August on Cuckoo Blian. Let's go and wish a fake a good. Toshe Harbour. Well, back she fake a good. Actually, can't Cooper me. Now Vima. Vima Water, egg, egg kind, like, Fuyun Scanon, just a rare. I guess, like, Vichy, egg kind, oh, Toshe, like, unscanon is fair. I can't say rave. So, mm. like, Tom, Tom makes a new more like, actually. I guess, Tyson, Tall on Bukli own Carhoovli and August August Kugubli. Kugubli, come yeah. on. Yeah. Ta, like Tall on Bukli, Tinuka Morlash, actually. So, yeah, no, yeah. I mean, it's on a more, it's gone on Guelga event, Mark Whitton's on Oscars. Oh, yeah, so, like, Neil Shea. Nilshe Gokla will no. like scan on Kalul Askwelga. Kenta. Um, so yeah, no Toshe Toshe on Kerhook and Maridor Tuta Alon Actri and uh, V2 V2 Gnosa Kastoka. V V um, make no hook, yeah, Kenta. Uh, yeah, Rina Rina a couple of lean Tronagest, August Rudy Marshin. Shine, yeah. August by Kaylee Gwen Kuma again Gokhokton, Nation Darblin. So, let's go, Mamma. She's wrote, um, she's like to new lesson where I me take a gagorilla skull, long colony. So, Toshi for her fish and Akasoka commission. Come on, come on. Oh, fair. Um, Toshi's gonna big the bookly clock. Yeah, Toshi, 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 as Narang Kerpatakish we lawyer. So, ah, fair. No, Shin, Shin on. Well, Gurmila Mahagut Ostaquidama and Nini Verku. Lutu and Kaylee, dear Kunshin, August Shinroita, Toshoduing in Ovsa Studio. Muntor, Frankisha, August Guelga, Mario Driscoll, August Afidalike, August Begshi, Eggshoint, the Marino Waltz, La John Sheehan. Gurmagut Avora, August Roiglad.
Sam, that wraps up another very successful episode here on the PVC podcast. What do you think of today's episode, Sam? It's been a great one, Brian. Three languages, everything we could ask for. It's been another exciting episode. Nice bit of fiddle for Miss O'Driscoll as well. Yeah. Thanks very much again, listeners, for letting us grace your ears with this podcast. I've been Brian. And I'm Sam. Bye for now. Bye.